I will be reading Romans 8, 33 through 34. He will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is over and is also interceding for us. Awesome, awesome job. I hope you guys have been putting a note somewhere in your journal, maybe on your bathroom mirror or something, uh, maybe something in the car to remind you uh, to be lifting up this upcoming season in which we're going to be doing two things. Number one, reaffirming our elders. Uh, that's going to begin taking place next week. You'll be um, informed a little bit more about the process by either Clay or Jay Oliver. Those two deacons are going to be leading this process, both of reaffirmation and also of selection of our deacons. That's going to begin next week. Uh, and so please continue to be in prayer about that. Uh, we wanted so very much to have our own elders reaffirmed before we moved into the process of actually selecting other elders to join them. And so that reaffirmation is going to take place first. And then the selection of new elders will take place after that. But you'll hear more about that next week. Please, right now, two things. Commit to praying. Uh, God, please show us who uh, these shepherds are, uh, both those that you would like to continue to shepherd and then those who haven't been but we would like because of their lives to invite them to be a part of our shepherds, acknowledging them and then just setting them free to use their gifts even more. Uh, so please commit to praying but also considering who those men might be among us uh, that God is raising up and that he would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. A lady was walking down the street in a residential area. She saw this man up on the porch in a rocker sitting quiet, peaceful-like. He had a wrinkled face, weathered skin. He appeared to be pretty frail. And she looked up at him and said, tell me, what's been the secret to your life? He said, well, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. I drink a case of whiskey every week. I eat fast food, and I never exercise. And she said, well, that's amazing. How old are you? He said, 26. <laughs> now, I knew that would make many of you laugh because we all know that what we put on the inside impacts our outside. Always. That's why the Apostle John is trying to say throughout this entire letter, if there's light on the inside, it will get out to the outside. It will impact the outside. And so make every effort to make sure what's inside is light, not darkness. Which is why God talks of getting a new inside when you welcome him into your life. Ezekiel says it this way in chapter 36, he's going to give you a new heart. Jesus says in John chapter 3, he'll, he'll actually birth you again. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, in one word it's resurrection. Where we were once dead inside, God's going to breathe new life into us and our bodies will not stay dead. They come alive. I'd like to add one more to that. It's an illustration that came from a woman who um, was asked by a coworker, what's it like to be a Christian? And I don't know if it was the fall of the year, but here's how she replied. It's kind of like being a pumpkin. God picks you up from the patch, brings you in, 
washes all the dirt off of you. Then he opens you up, scoops out all that yucky stuff inside. All the doubt, all the hate, all the greed and the light. And then he carves you a new smiling face and he puts his light inside of you to shine for all the world to see. The old apostle John, I think, would amen that. I think he sees that as a reality of an inside light making a difference to an outside set of circumstances. This week, we're going to take a look at how exactly he wants us to prepare those insights in a very, very special, unique way. Here's our text for this morning. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God's greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because he keeps his commands, because his commands, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. See, Justin, you did a much better job than I did. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Let's pray, church. Father, thanks. Thanks for coming to find us and pulling us out of that, the mess that we were in, so many of us, washing it off through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, scooping out that yucky stuff inside, continuing to do that, continuing to fill us with your spirit, to put a light in us that just can't help but get out. We want that so much for our lives. We want to believe that the pumpkin patch gospel is true. We want it to be true in our lives. We also know that that same thing is true for Faith Christian Academy. Please continue to bless that church as they gather to hear how they can be lights in a dark world, how you can truly change the insides of our beliefs so that our outside behaviors are, are radically different. Father, we realize it's a tragedy when that doesn't happen and you're trying to correct some of that disconnect in our lives. Please help us in Faith Christian to do that. And especially in the area where we've allowed differences over the years between us to be stronger than the things that we have in common. This incredible Savior, this incredible light, this incredible gospel, the incredible commission to go and take it to the world. Father, help us to unite around those things along with other disciples here in our community. And truly be the light we can be as a church. For we ask that in Jesus' name and everyone said. I think there's an important reality that everyone who's a Christian here in the room needs to be reminded of. I did this week. Because our hearts are going to condemn us. John acknowledges that. But, but why do they condemn us? I wanted you to know if you feel like that you're the only one who experiences that, you're not. I do. I experience a great deal of condemnation regularly that comes to my heart, and I think you do too. The reason why our hearts condemn us, number one, is because we don't love as we should. We know that. We do not love as we should. On my best day, that's a true statement. Last week, John reminded us that love is one of three tests to help differentiate between a Jesus look-alike and a Jesus live-alike. And we want to be Jesus live-alikes. We don't want to be bogus Christians, we want to be authentic Christians. 
And he says, here's three tests to know if you are. Number one, do you really believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Come in the flesh. That's, in, that's incredibly essential, John says. Are you going to live in obedience to God's commands? That's incredibly essential, John says. And a part of that is are you going to obey the greatest of all commands, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself? And Jesus will take that even a step further and say to love him as I've loved you. John says we can know that we have passed from death to life when we love our mates with a love that's out of this world. He, he says, I want you to know you can know. You've passed from death to life when you love that obnoxious boss of yours with a love that's out of this world. When you love that na- next-door neighbor of yours with a, a love that's out of this world, even though he's kind of, kind of about as cold as a vulture, but you still love him anyways. Jesus' love in you is bigger than his obnoxiousness and their coldness and their stubbornness. And I want you to know my love is grown since I became a Christian at the age of 11 years old, but it's not anywhere where it needs to be. Because much of my loving is still because of loving, as we talked about last week. It's not in spite of loving, like we talked about this morning around that table that we call the Lord's Supper. Those people who were crying out for Jesus' death, Jesus loved in spite of their lies, in spite of their mob mentality and anger. He got on a cross and he died for every single one of them and for you. That's an in spite of kind of love, not a because of kind of love. I still struggle with my flesh, loving only if there's a prospect of a decent return here. I think some of you do too. I think maybe most of us do. We don't want to ever make a bad love investment, do we? Too many of those have come back to haunt us. Maybe you heard about the couple who met online at a computer dating service. He wrote, I don't care about looks. I just want a woman with intelligence. She said, I don't care about money. I just want a man with character. And so the agency put them both together because they had one thing in common. They're compulsive liars. (laughs) The truth is all of us want to be careful with our love bets, our love investments. We'd like to make sure that we're going to get return on that investment or we're just not going to risk it. But the Spirit says, I can help you do better than that. I don't know if you followed through last week what I asked you to practice. Ask you to pull that card out, that visitor's card there right on the back of that. A place or a person that you would normally love, would normally reach out to. But, but this week you were going to pray about it and see if the Spirit would open up an opportunity for you to be able to do that. And you were just going to love in spite of the difficulty of that person or circumstances. Well, I tried to practice what I preached. I've been slammed by a person. The specifics of that don't matter because you've been slammed by people. But Jesus helped me to be at least courteous to that person this week. And without his help, I assure you I couldn't have pulled that off. Many days I don't bother with trying. And maybe you don't either. It's because our love is still immature and needs to grow and deepen and widen as we filter it through the cross of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? If you love only those who love you, what good's that? Even scoundrels do that much. If you're friendly only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even heathen do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, I'm not. I'm just not. 
I want to be. I see evidence of growth, but I am nowhere close to being perfected in the love that I know that Jesus is calling me to. And sometimes my second-class love leads to some first-class condemnation. How about you? But there's a deeper problem. Not only do we not love as we ought, we're not sure God loves us. We're really not. I've never talked about loving God so much, I think, in my entire life because I've never preached through the, the letter of 1 John. And my, he talks about it almost on every page. And if you read ahead, we're not done yet. We haven't hit the major section when he talks about the love of God and how that impacts our love of our neighbors and our family. But I believe in the truth that says you cannot pass what you do not possess. You can't pass on what you do not possess. No way. You can't dispense love when your love tank is empty. But here's what God's trying to come to all of us and say. Listen, the one who is love, God, would love to fill your love tank. That's what he'd really like to do. I have very rarely experienced what I think could be classified as truly unconditional love. And probably neither have you. Almost all of the people who have loved us, like us, have some kind of a percentage of, but I see something lovely in you or something lovely I could get out of you if I love you. That's conditional love. That's not the love that God brings to the table. We learn this even as small children. <laughs> we were trained by this. You remember this princess up on the screen? She was asleep and a handsome prince needed to come by to wake her up with a kiss. Finish her name with me. Sleeping. You mean it wasn't sleeping ugly? No? No, we know better. She had to be pretty for the handsome prince to even give her the time of day. And if we didn't learn it from Sleeping Beauty, we also learned it from Cinderella. Remember these two characters? They were the mean stepsisters, right? How do we know that they were mean? Because they were the ugly stepsisters. Wow. How about that for a lesson when you're four years old? From the earliest of ages, we learned in order to be special, in order to be accepted, in order to be honored, we needed remarkable looks, we needed remarkable intelligence, we needed remarkable talent, we needed something remarkable about us to get people to appreciate and love us. Wow, that's tough on a person. It's been tough on me. Performance-based acceptance keeps our hearts restless for praise, keeps our hearts restless for affirmation. And so when our hair prevents us from looking young and amazing, we color it. And so I'll starve my body to achieve some level of thinness that makes you want to love me. And I'll get a second job and I'll work more hours so that we can own a nicer house and a nicer car so that the nicer people will accept and love us. And I'll get better grades and I'll go to one more camp to learn how to hit one more home run and to make one more three-pointer because I promise, Mom, I'll do it if you will love me. And we'll go even as far as to enable you to death if need be. Bankrolling your destructive lifestyle so that you will say, I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. I, I don't know what I could do without you. And performance-based love can be the worst, you know where? In the halls and the walls of religion. And by religion, I mean a man-based attempt to appease some deity by doing what the religion says you've got to do to appease him. 
And the religion that I speak of is a religion that's constantly keeping that heart on the edge of condemnation. Always, always questioning. Have you done enough for your deity lately? Mm-mm-mm. You need to be careful with that because you don't want to make this deity mad. Religion will always provide plenty of folks to say, you know what, your expression of beliefs of our deity isn't like we think it should be. And therefore, you're in danger, maybe eternally in danger. Well, here's the truth about self-condemnation. I'm pretty good at that myself. You can't send me a letter or an email that's going to beat me up any more than I beat up my own self. Can't. Because I send plenty to myself, trust me. And those that I don't send to myself, Satan makes sure they get sent. Or my heart makes sure. I don't know where they all come from, but they come. I know I'm flawed. I know I'm limited in understanding. I know my communication skills aren't the best. I know I don't love as I should. I know that. But like many of you, in many, of, in many a day, it's hard for me to go, okay, knowing what I know about myself, how in the world could God say he delights in me? Disgusted with me, maybe. But delights in me? No way. No, that's not what the book says. He delights in you. Delights in you. Smiles at me? Yes. I could go with scowl, but I'm not sure I could go with smile. Nobody does. You put a smile on his face every morning. His mercies are brand new every single day. Don't ever forget that. Wow, that's hard for me to hear. Especially in this performance-based world that we live in. I'm so glad I don't serve a performance-based God. Amen? Even though I'm trying, it still wears me out someday because I just, my, my default is perform, perform, perform. I'm wondering this morning if our greatest spiritual struggle is not shamelessly excusing ourselves, but needlessly accusing ourselves. I wonder if our hearts condemn us when in God's eyes he actually sees something to celebrate, not to condemn Here's what the scripture says. Even if our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. He knows everything. My feelings will never counter. My thoughts will never counter my anxious heart. But God's truth will. And what he knows about me and what he's trying his best to try and communicate to me, that'll counter it if I will listen. That's why Jesus says all throughout the gospels. He who has ears to hear, please... I've got some great news. Listen to this. That's why John's trying to say, you're going to have to set your hearts on this. You've got to do something. The truth is here. The reality of it's here. But you've got to set your hearts on this truth. And sometimes that means, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 5, you're going to have to take those condemning thoughts captive. Man, I'm learning what that means in maybe a more specific way here lately. We've got a new cat. Name's Buddy. He's a Siamese cat. And we had, we've had a couple, and this one just is, he's amazing, but he's a teenager. We got him as a kitten, but he's turned into a teenager before we know it. Doesn't that happen, parents? I, I saw that with two humans in my life, but now I'm seeing it with another cat in my life. And I mean, when they turn into that teenager, they know everything, and they're into everything. And occasionally, you've got to grab them by the nape of the neck like you do a cat and pull it up and say, Unacceptable. 
Had to do that with Buddy a couple of times this last week, but I don't say it that way. I speak his language. And I redirect him back to where he can play freely. With my best wishes. Sometimes I got to do that with my heart. Sometimes you've got to take that, that heart that is bent on destruction with the things that's pouring into your life, what it's saying in your mind, and you've got to grab it by the naked, nap of the neck, and you've got to go, I don't want to hear. You've got to redirect it. Not with your thoughts. Not with pop psychology's thoughts or the, or the latest psychological guru, but with God's thoughts on what he thinks of you. That's why you got to get in this book. you got to get in this book. you got to get into that word because it's that word of a God who can love you unconditionally, who says, don't you get this? That's what I'm trying to convey through the cross and through every other way I, I possibly can. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I could never love you more and I could never love you less. Any other kind of love would make the cross unnecessary. I just love you. It's tough to hear, though. Two things I know will help us in the truth of God's Word to put our hearts at rest. Here's the first one. We need to remember what God knows about you, which is everything. And somebody says, well, that doesn't make me feel less condemned. He knows everything. Yes, everything. And Scripture tries to point you to the truth that that's a good thing for you. Because over and over, him knowing everything is tied to him knowing all the good that nobody else sees or understands or, or even thinks might be in your life or in your heart. He knows that. Not just the stuff that, that his blood can forgive and his grace can forgive. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. It hurts other people, yes, but forgivable. But some of this other stuff is just isn't noticeable and people don't know it about you. But he knows everything. That's why I love Psalms chapter 33 and verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen for his own. For the Lord gazes down upon mankind from heaven where he lives. He made their hearts and closely watches everything they do. Yes, he sees my bad thoughts and intentions and actions. However, he also sees the good in me. And the good in that heart that nobody takes note of. He sees it all and he loves me anyway. Every parent in this room can understand that. Because you know your children better than sometimes they know themselves. Moms and dads say amen. Yeah. And you also know that your children want to be better than they actually are. Mine still do. Psalm chapter 103 and verse 13 is a powerful verse. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he understands how weak we are. He knows we're only dust. God knows you better than anybody and loves you anyway in spite of the stuff that gets on us and in us. He knows that we fail, but he doesn't equate our flaws as reason to abandon us. No, get this. He sees them as reason to save us. Love this story. Back in the days of the old Russian czars, one of the czars had a good friend. He was a nobleman and he was dying. And he asked the czar, will you adopt my son because when I, when I die, he'll not have anybody. His mother's already passed. And the czar agreed. Well, he died. And true to his word, the, the czar adopted him into his family as a son. 
He brought him into his household, gave him everything. Well, this son grew up and took a commission in the army. But he wasn't a very decent guy. He didn't have very much self-control. As a matter of fact, he had a huge gambling problem. He sought to bankroll his losses by embezzling money out of the company because he was the division's bookkeeper. At one point, he had embezzled so much money, he knew it was a matter of time before they conducted an audit. They always conducted audits, and they were going to catch him cooking the books. And his worst fears came true literally the next week when he found out the next day that audit was coming. Well, the young man knew he was going to be found out, and so he got the books out to try to find some way that he could keep his family from disgrace and himself from being court-martialed, any way to hide what he had done, and there just wasn't. And so he determined right then and there he was going to kill himself, but he didn't have the courage to do that. So he went and got him a fifth of whiskey to try to drink in some courage to take his life. But as sometimes happens when people do that, even today, he became so drunk he just passed out. Well, unbeknownst to him, the czar on this particular night was doing what he often did. He dressed up as a soldier to go see how his enlisted men were actually living and acting and conducting themselves. The first place he stopped was his adoptive son's tent. He saw the empty bottle of whiskey. He saw the revolver. And he opened up the books, and he deduced then and there what was about to take place. He sat down quickly, wrote a note, and sealed it with his czar's seal, and quietly left. And the next morning when the young man woke up and looked down, there was a note that said, I, the czar, will make good the debts owed in this ledger. And immediately the young man knew that the czar had come and seen everything, knew everything. And yet in spite of what he saw, still loved him. And I love that story. The old apostle John would love that story. But I don't know if that's true or not. The one that John tells is absolutely true. That Jesus Christ, God, came in the flesh and lived in that skin for 33 years. And he knows more about your heart than you know about your own heart. And John writes in his gospel that when he could have come to condemn us, he came instead to save us. I know you know the most famous verse in all the Bible. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. We almost all, all of us could, could quote that verse. But man, the verse right behind it that explains the meaning behind it is equally as powerful. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now you have that on high authority. Those of you who have placed your life in the hands of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Spirit, you are not condemned. Could have had all the basis, all the credentials here to come into this world and condemn you, but he did and he came to save you. Paul says it this way, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Man, some of you needed to have the nape of your neck grabbed this morning and for God to say right into your face, Now, if the Spirit's trying to convict you to turn your life on a 180 and get out of some stuff that you don't need to be in, then you listen to him. But if that heart's trying to condemn you and that Satan's trying to condemn you, say, it's not worth the effort because that ended a long time ago, brud then you needed to be redirected this morning and hear the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. No more performance-based stuff. God loves you, period. I know your heart and mind are going to be filled with condemning thoughts on occasion. 
I know your actions are going to fall short of God's law and character, but you've got to decide. I have to decide. John's saying it this morning, that I've got to value the credibility of his word over my thoughts and over anybody else's thoughts. And I have to set my mind on that. That's my job. By looking at myself through the lens of a cross. And here's what I hope you leave here by knowing. We can do that. We can set our hearts on what God thinks of us instead of sometimes what I think of myself. By number one, remembering God knows everything. By number two, remembering where God is. Okay, if you've fallen asleep, wake up for a minute. When God sees you, he does not want to move on. He wants to move in. See, John was there that night when Jesus was talking about a betrayal that was coming and a cross that was coming and him leaving. And in the midst of that meal, in the midst of that conversation, he says in John 14, anybody who loves me will obey my teaching and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Well, that left John scratching his head. You're talking about leaving. What do you mean? Leaving, coming to make your home with me. Didn't get that. And they didn't until the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit came and made his home with them. And John finishes our text this morning in 1 John 3 and verse 24. This is how we know he lives in us. Read it with me, church. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. That's how we know. I love that about our Father. He knew I would struggle with a condemning heart. And one of the reasons he sends his Spirit to live right inside me next to that heart is to confront and overrule that condemning heart on occasion. Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit is not going to convict. That's his job, too. John 16 and verse 8 says that part of what he does when he comes into the world is to convict those that are in sin. Get out of that. Turn your your, your toes in a different direction. Get them pointed in a different, repent, change, stop that. And turn towards the love and the God who can help change you. He'll convict you of that. But he will never condemn you. That won't be his voice. He will overwhelm you. That's what he's there to do with this love. You may have heard of the name of Dr. Michael DeBakey. He's a famous heart surgeon from Houston. He was performing one of his first ever transplants of a plastic heart into a child. The little girl's name was Linda Griggs. She was seven. And like a seven-year-old might ask, she said, my new heart I know is going to be special, but I need to know, is it going to have any love in it? And he thought about it for a while, and then he said, this heart was made by hundreds of people who did not want to see you die, Linda. So he said, your new heart is going to have more love in it than your old heart did. That's what happens when you become a new creation. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Man, I love that. You having some trouble being loved and being loving? God says, I can handle both. We can recreate that heart. We can, we can make that heart brand new and fill it with the love that, that's out of this world. Just stunning. Now, none of us will love perfectly until we finally get our resurrection bodies. And I can't wait. I don't know about you, but I want to be in a body that when I go to open my mouth, it's full of grace and, and encouragement, not some of the things that comes out of my mouth. I can't wait to be in a body with a heart that, that just has intentions for blessing and mercy and caring and selflessness. I, I want to have a body that's like that. But I'm not there yet. So I know there's going to be some conviction. And I know there's going to come some condemnation. But not from the Spirit. Not from God. God says, I want to help you live loved. That's why I put that Spirit inside you. 
to do what you can't do. I shared with you a few months ago, my dad has gone through the process of remarrying. <laughs> and he's picked a dandy. Jane's been here a couple of times, and some of you have met her. She's an absolute jewel. And they've decided they're going to live in Jane's house in New Braunfels. And that's great. But Dad has 30 years of memories in life that he's, he's got a home there in Cibolo, Texas, and she's got her home of 30 years plus years of, of memory in life. And, and you know what? All the memories don't fit in the same house. It's a lot of memories. And so they're having to figure out what stays and what goes. And I want you to know this wise son is staying out of that conversation. But recently my father was going through the closets in our house and he, he brought me a couple of things that he thought I might like. Didn't even know I had this. I think it was willed to me early. It's a book of buffalo head nickels. Those are bad to the bone. I don't know what they're worth, but they're cool. This was one of my um, camp bracelets, my WWJD bracelet from back when I went to camp. It was also worn by a very pretty little girl's campfire. This is my Spurs watch. Forgot I had that thing. Back in the days when Gervin was tearing it up. Iceman, you bait. Mm-hmm. And then, I'd forgotten about this one. One summer, my brother and I wanted to do um, something for my mom. And we were at my grandparents' house in San Antonio. And she said, I know something that you can do. You can paint her a picture. Every mom's dream, right? And so we did. Mine's in my office. And my brother Bobby's is here in my hands. You know, it's not, it's not much, but it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty good giraffe, huh? If I went to sell it in a garage sale, I doubt if I could get five bucks for it, though. Maybe for the frame, because we bought this frame a long time ago, and it's probably worth every bit of five bucks, if not more. But I want you to understand something. I wouldn't take $1,000 for this picture, especially because a year later, my brother Bobby was dead. This was one of the last things I can remember us doing together because I went back to college that summer. He went on to TSTI to get his degree in airframe mechanics. I can't remember anything else we did together besides these two pieces of, war, pieces of art. The only thing that makes this thing priceless is my love. That's all. But isn't that enough? The only thing that makes you priceless <laughs> is like the creator of the universe's love. Isn't that enough? Please let it be enough. That's what John's trying to get us to believe. It is enough. It really is enough. And if you do believe it, it's going to change two things in your life specifically. The first is this. It'll change how you pray. Hear the word of the Lord, dear friends. If we feel at ease in the presence of God, we will have the courage to come near him. He will give us whatever we ask because we obey him and do what pleases him. God wants us to have faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and to love each other. This also is what Jesus taught us to do, that if we obey God's commands, we will stay one in our hearts with him. And he will stay one with us. If we trust that the pumpkin patch gospel is true, if we trust that with all of our hearts, we will pray better. We will not pray with reluctance. We'll pray with confidence, John says. When we come before God as a loved child and not an ashamed criminal, it changes how we speak to the Father. So the word confidence is used again in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 where it says, let us draw near the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. Now back in that other verse, he will give us whatever we ask. There are some people who pull that thing out and put it on a plaque. And you know what? When their sister was dying of leukemia, they prayed that. You said that you would give me whatever I ask. I have, have as much faith as I possibly can have. Please heal my sister. And he did. 
My dad was about to lose his job, and it meant we were going to have to leave our neighborhood, and we didn't know what else was going to happen. And I begged you, please, you said you'd give me whatever I asked for, and you didn't. And some of those folks have left the church and have never come back because they were taught false doctrine. They didn't spend their own time in the Word knowing that that was read in a context that said, if you want to do what pleases God, buddy, you ask Him anything. And he will do it. We don't understand how losing a job and losing a child isn't part of his plan. But he does. And what he's asking is, is don't, don't trust how I answer your prayers. Trust my love. And then you ask me for anything. Trust and I will come and help you love. Now, if there's one prayer you want to pray, you know he will answer You ask him today, oh, please help me love my mama. She has become so difficult. He'll help you do that. Please help me love my teenager. I mean, he thinks he knows everything and he's into everything. I just want to grab him by the nape of the neck and go, unacceptable. Please help me love. He will answer that prayer if prayed in faith that God will do that. But it's been abused so much in the past. So many people have been angry at God and let down by God because of a propagation of a lie. That if I ask God in enough faith, I'll receive anything I ask for. That's not the context, not just of a scripture. That's not the context of the story. You've got to know the story and how that, that, those words fit the story, not just even the context. If we welcome the love of God in our lives and trust that love, we will pray better, but number two, we'll also obey better. Because I won't be obeying out of a sense of I've got to perform well or else. I won't be obeying out of a sense of obligation. I'll be obeying out of a sense of thankfulness. And gratefulness, and that changes everything. Oh my goodness, it's so fun to have my girls be more mature and, and, and love to do things that I ask them to do. Instead of, okay, this messes up my agenda, my plans. Yeah, Dad, love to do that. Glad I could help. When you trust the love of God, it changes you. Galatians 5 and verse 6 says this, For in Christ neither... Our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. But what matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Faith expressed in love. There it is. Don't let anybody add to that, okay? And there will be plenty of people, especially if you hang around us long enough, who will want to add to that and say, but, 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 but you've got to have this. Mm-mm. Read Galatians. This love of Christ comes into your heart and you, you give him your heart. Listen, you take aim at two things, faith in that love and the expression of that love to other people. Love God, love your neighbor. You'll be on mission and it will help you live life to the full. We didn't just come up with that because we thought that was cute out there. That's exactly what John's saying. You want to know how you can come alive and for him to come alive in you? And you trust that love and you, you decide I'm going to let you use me to love any and everyone you need to even when they're scoundrels and scallywags. Now, other folks are going to show up in your life again and try to add to that agenda, but please don't let them. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. That's why we make it our aim not to please people, but to please God because he knows our motives. Man, it's tough to please hundreds of people. I've tried. It doesn't work. But if I try to please an audience of one, that's a lot easier, especially this audience of one. So please, please him. One more illustration and we're done. In May of 2008, a tragedy struck one of my favorite all-time Christian artists, Stephen Curtis Chapman. He and his wife, Mary Beth, had adopted several children from China, and one of them was a five-year-old girl by the name of Maria Sue. 
She was playing in the driveway of their home when she was fatally hit by her 17-year-old brother, Will Franklin. They had just come out of an engagement party in the house for their oldest daughter, Emily. Will Franklin was driving to a graduation party for his other brother. And he backs out, never seeing Maria Sue. She never seeing the SUV coming out of the garage. And he ran over. And he said in an interview with Larry King that I watched again yesterday, I knew immediately this wasn't good. Got out, and then he looked in the driveway at his worst nightmare come true. And he started doing two things, screaming and running. His other brother, who was outside playing, also saw that and went and tackled Will in the street. Mom and Dad came outside, immediately picked up their little girl and put her in that same SUV and pulled out of that driveway and started to leave. And before they did, Dad, and having to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, Dad rolls down the window and he says to his son, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Will Franklin, your father loves you. I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. But I do know this. I can say this one phrase on behalf of God and know he would put his seal of approval on it. Jeremiah, I love you. Jeremy, Allison, I love you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I love you. Jeff, I love you. Please believe that. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to show you that. It didn't bring Maria Sue back when Stephen said that. Do you know what Will went on to say in that same interview with Larry King? It brought him back. It brought him back. And it has a chance to bring you back, friend, from whatever you've been through, whether you premeditated it and you were involved in orchestrating it or whether it was done to you. God will bring you back with this, I love you. And the cross is the best proof of that I can show you. Now the question is, is will you let him love you? Will you let him pull you out of the patch and open you up inside and take out the yuck? Will you let him do that? The hate? the hurt, the brokenness, and, and, and will you let him put a light inside you and start to car some new things on you and in you? It may not start out as a smile at first, but you give it time, and it will get there. That's the gospel of the pumpkin patch. No, that's the gospel of the Word of God. We love you, Lord, and we're asking you this morning to please, right now, even as I finish up this lesson, to begin moving through this auditorium, and if there are people you brought here today who you want to nudge further to give up trying to do this themselves and let you love them through it so that they could live through whatever they're in right now. Please nudge them to the front. Help them if they've never given their life to Christ to, to say yesterday, I want to be your child. I want you to be my Lord. You take control of the wheel. I'll just stay with you. Father, if you brought a brother or sister here today, and I mean this message has caught them right in the midst of some sin. It's not like them. It's not like the family they're a part of. It's, it's not a part of your character, but they found themselves deep in it, and they want out. And they've heard your word that if, if, we, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all sins. And they're trying to believe. Will you help their unbelief and find their way to an elder at the back or to me at the front so that we can pray over them and with them? We want to leave here, Father, lights out. And we're needing your help this morning to help us with the power of the Spirit. So please, as we stand to praise you, God, do that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand, let's praise him.